0: Welcome back to The Wrestling Room and welcome back to what I call what I'm learning. And this is episode number four. And this is where I simply share with you what I'm learning from the scripture, what I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And today I want to share on the topic, how to correctly understand the second coming of Jesus. A topic I feel is highly relevant considering the events that are swirling around us. I recently watched a documentary that featured one of the world's greatest leaders. We know him as the British Bulldog or Sir Winston Churchill. He was a man with the ability to see things that most leaders did not see. He had an acute perception of people and of world events that enabled him to magnificently withstand Adolf Hitler and the German Nazi war machine and almost single-handedly put his nation on his back and will them to victory against insurmountable odds. He is truly one of the great leaders, in my opinion, of all of world history. And yet, ironically, in stark contrast to the acute vision and perception and understanding that he had during his life, as he lay on his deathbed dying, he exclaimed in perplexity, I am bewildered by the world. The confusion is terrible. I'm reading a book right now called His Story, where Pastor Adrian Rogers presents history in eight very specific movements. And I'll list them for you. Movement number one, the creation, followed by the covenant. Then the cradle, the cup the crown, the cross, number seven, the conquest, and then number eight, the coming. And friends, these eight movements describe history from start to finish. And I I would like to say to you, you're probably ahead of me, the unifying factor in all eight of these movements is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the Central figure, the uniting factor in all of world history. And we have progressed through seven of these movements, and we stand on the precipice of stepping into movement number eight, the coming of Jesus. Friends, listen, the second coming of Jesus makes sense of everything, it ties everything together from start to finish. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, as the believers Stood staring up into heaven, watching Jesus ascend through the clouds. Two angels shocked them back into reality and said these words to them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Friends, the second coming of Jesus is a reality. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. But there are two tragic realities around the second coming of Jesus that I want to share briefly with you. And the first is that the the teaching of the second coming of Jesus is tragically omitted or absent from most churches. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who was having a conversation with a co-worker asking him, what does your church teach about the second coming of Jesus? And his response was, we don't talk about the coming of Jesus at our church. That's, that's unbelievable. That's tragic. That's like talking about NCAA basketball without... March Madness, or the NFL without the Super Bowl. Friends, the second coming of Jesus brings resolve, completion, it ties everything together. It finishes the story. Now, I'm a fan of Louis L'Amour. Uh, next to the scripture, my first, my favorite genre is Western novels. I love Louis L'Amour. I've written, writ, uh, read about 100 of his novels. His best, in my opinion, is The Walking Drum, one he wrote near the end of his life. 400-some pages. I couldn't put it down. It captivated me. But at the end, it ends as a cliffhanger. It has no resolve. He intended on writing part two to resolve the story. So this great, magnificent novel ends with no resolve. And then, before he could write the supplementary and complementary novel, he died. Louis L'Amour died. He's left me hanging for over 30 years. I believe, friends, that the reason so many churches are dying is that there is no teaching about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no teaching about the main character and how he, his final conquest resolves all of history. Any church that doesn't have as its central theme, as its major emphasis, the coming of the Lord Jesus has missed the whole point. It makes no sense. If I were sitting in a church with the, without the teaching of Jesus, I would be bored out of my mind. Bored out of my mind. Without that, life and history is just one great, unresolved, mysterious, confusing cliffhanger. And not only that, the enemies, our enemies, Satan, does not want you thinking about, reading about, studying about, or looking forward to the second coming. I can tell you that. And I'm going to give you three quick reasons. Number one, the Bible says that the second coming of Jesus is our source of hope. Our source of hope. Titus 2.13 says this, we are waiting for the blessed hope. And then then Paul clarifies, what is the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus. It's our blessed hope. Friends, if you were to erase the victory of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus from the scriptures, I will tell you, for myself, I would be a world-class pessimist. I would literally be intolerable to live with, as many of you would be. On my prayer walks, uh, many of you know I have a circuit, I walk by a Seattle Times newspaper dispensary box and I can't help myself, I almost always look at the headlines. And in the past, I would look at the headlines and then I would generally get cussing mad. It would infuriate me. (laughs) But I decided I'm gonna flip the script, so I have made a decision if I look at the headlines I will allow it to fuel my prayer life. It's like nitrous to my prayer life. So I, when I read the headlines, as I did this morning on my walk, if I'm out of five in prayer passion, it clicks me to about an eight or nine. But friends, listen, it allows me, despite headline hysteria and headline foolishness and headline insanity, that just simply exposes the craziness of this world. It allows me to jump out of bed every day, excited for a new day to serve Jesus, excited for the opportunities that he will bring my way. Guys, I get out of bed every single morning, ready to roll, excited to be a child of the King, anticipating that this could be the day that Jesus comes back. Listen, the scripture says the second coming of Jesus is our source of of hope. But secondly, it's also our motivation for holiness. First John 3 verses 2 and 3 says this, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. We know, uh, going off script for a second, we know that We are going to trade in these old broken down dying bodies for a brand new body. That's what John is talking about here. He says, he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know, John says, that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. There is something about seeing Jesus seeing him in all of his glory, that is literally going to transform us too. And I will say this to you. Why is it that I always encourage, especially men, as I minister to men, get into the word, pursue Jesus. And that is this. If you want transformation, you need to look at Jesus. You need to study Jesus. You need to fall in love with Jesus. As we see Jesus, as we come to know Jesus, we are transformed, and that's progressive. The final transformation will happen when we see him face to face because the Bible said no one can see God and live in our fleshly sinful bodies. So at some point, there will be a instantaneous transference from this old weak body to a brand new body when we see Jesus as he is. So he says, we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And then he concludes, he says, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Friends, listen. Focusing on, studying, anticipating, looking forward to the second coming of Jesus is a sin deterrent. If you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with temptation, if you're struggling with impurity, my brother, my sister, let me encourage you. Get your eyes off your your failure and get your eyes onto Jesus. Make it your life's goal and motivation to study Jesus, to know Jesus. Pray, Holy Spirit, reveal the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ to me in power, in glory. Show me his glory. Because according to this verse, it is a promise all who eagerly look forward to the Lord Jesus' coming will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. That is why there's so much sin in the church. That is why so many believers look exactly like unbelievers. They love the same things. They say the same things. They value the same things. You don't know the difference because they're not anticipating the second coming of Jesus. And they're living in lives filled with sin. The Bible says that the second coming of Jesus is our motivation for holiness. But thirdly, it's our basis for happiness. The book of Revelation, which reveals the end of the story in 1 verse 3, chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart or obey it Because the time is near. A couple thoughts on this verse. Blessed are those who read aloud. Friends, I want to encourage you. Read the scriptures aloud or get an app on your phone that will read the scriptures to you. My wife and I have been reading through the book of Jeremiah. It's 52 chapters. We're reading one chapter a day. We've been almost two months reading the book of Jeremiah. But I'm going to tell you, it has been an epic, epic journey. Reading to one another aloud. There is something powerful about hearing the word of God read to you. But then it goes on to say, blessed is the one who reads aloud. Blessed is the one who hears it. This word word blessed means supremely happy or fortunate. Supremely happy. Listen, the Bible calls supreme happiness joy. And Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we can extrapolate this truth, that as you anticipate, study, look forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus, it is going to strengthen you, because it is going to cause supreme happiness to to rise up and bubble up in you, because you know the end of the story. We win. Jesus wins. And so, friends, for those three reasons, the enemy does not want you to know about, study about, read about, anticipate the second coming of Jesus, because it's your source of hope, your motivation for holiness, and it is your basis for supreme happiness. He wants to keep you bound up, sucked dry, pessimistic, negative, and without understanding the second second coming of Jesus, that's exactly what you'll end up as, full of fear, insulated, isolated, indulging your flesh, investing in things that don't matter, and that's exactly where the enemy wants you. But friends, listen, Jesus is coming back. So the first tragedy, though, is the omission of teaching around the second coming of Jesus. But the second tragedy is the confusion surrounding the second coming of Jesus, the, the confusion, and much of this confusion, I believe, is due, uh, much of the omission, I should say, is due to the confusion. So people say it's, you know, they'll say it's confusing. Therefore, they say, well, we just won't mess with it. We'll just just ignore it. We'll just go somewhere else. Study something else. And friends, that's not the answer. There are answers. There is clarity. And I want to bring clarity in this final part of this teaching to the eighth and final movement, the second coming of Jesus, by pointing out two very simple clarifications. So hang on, buckle up. Here we go. Put on your student hat and get ready to learn. Get ready to study because this is good, good stuff. Clarification number one is that the earthly ministry of Jesus is twofold. I mentioned this in my last teaching as well. The first event, the first phase of Jesus' ministry was the incarnation. Remember these words. It will help you to understand the movement of history and the life and ministry of Jesus. The first movement, the first phase of Jesus' life was the incarnation. That is what happened when Jesus came to earth. God came to earth as a child, took on human flesh during the first coming. That starts at Christmas and ends essentially at Easter or the ascension of the Lord Jesus, the incarnation. It's like the opening day of the NFL, if you want to put it in human terms. But the incarnation always looks forward to and resolves in the second event, which is the coronation. That is the second coming of Jesus. That is the Super Bowl. That's where the trophy is given out, where the king is is crowned. And friends, we're living in that valley between the incarnation and the coronation, but we're almost through the valley. We're almost through phase number seven, moving into phase number eight, the coming of the Lord Jesus. And to understand all of history, you understand that the incarnation of Jesus is the central point of all of human history. It splits history right in half. And the coronation of Jesus is the climactic event of all of human history. Everything is moving towards this event. Everything. The river is flowing to the, to the ocean of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Every river is flowing that direction. Now in part two of this teaching, I'm going to address a second clarification The first was with regards to the earthly ministry of Jesus. The second will be with regards to the second coming of Jesus, particularly this great event we know as the Day of the Lord. And I'm going to give six distinct differences between event number one and event number two that makes up this great Day of the Lord. So we'll see you in part two. You're going to leave clear and excited about events that are coming in your future if you are a child of Jesus, if you know him, love him, and serve him. So we'll see you there, part two, here in the wrestling room. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye-bye.